Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Resurrection Sunday podcast. In a message titled Practicing Resurrection, Pastor Ben Pitney teaches again from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. like you to take your Bible out and turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at 12 Bible verses there. And what I want to do is just draw the truth out of the text. And on this Resurrection Sunday, just ask this question, what does this have to do with me? This is a really important subject and the most important subject when it comes to being a Christ follower in the church. And I think that God has got some really good things for us to learn today. And so um, I want to just start with this, though. You know, everybody's got a little bit more time on their hands, and definitely there's, there are no sports on TV to watch except for reruns and just really oddball kind of things. And uh, I found myself connected to, this year, the U.S. Air Guitar Championships. Let me tell you about it because it's, it's actually really quite fun. Um, on August 1st in Brooklyn, New York, the U.S. Air Guitar Championships are going to be held. And um, as the only U.S. competition recognized by the international governing body of competitive air guitar. I didn't know there was such a thing, but there actually is. So U.S. Air Guitar says that they are devoted to taking our nation's unofficial pastime out of the bedroom and putting it on the world stage. And if you go to that website, it is super fun to kind of just look at how passionate people are about all these things. This championship is entering into its 18th season And the U.S. Air Guitar Championships consist of city competitions across the country, and then they culminate in national finals. So they put together brackets and everything. So I I started looking at this, and the more I kind of dug around in this subject, it just just reminds me of playing air guitar when I'm a kid, right? And everybody can do it, and how you bounce on top of your bed or jump off the couch playing air guitar to some awesome Uh, song and some awesome electric guitar player, right? In one night where all the greatest air guitarists come together, they, they take the stage in front of a packed house, celebrity judges, and national news media in an all out battle for air supremacy. This is crazy. All of this for the price of a $20 ticket. (laughs) Um, So it's actually inexpensive if you can ever find uh, one of these things. But the U.S. champion then goes on to Finland to represent the Team USA in the Air Guitar World Championships. I had no idea they really existed either. But listen to this. The, The World Championships, Air Guitar Games, they call them, they're dedicated to world peace. And according to the ideology of the Air Guitar Championships, right, wars would end and all the bad things in the world would just disappear if all the people in the world just played air guitar. (laughs) I think they got a great mission statement, and I think it's really fun. But here's the thing that I love about playing air guitar. First of all, anybody can do it, right? And 
the thing that is on the top of my list is you can't hit a wrong note. It's impossible to play a wrong note on the air guitar. You can't sound bad. You can't even sound better. <laughs> you sound exactly like you should sound. You don't even need an air, uh, you don't even need a guitar to play the air guitar, right? And the best thing about playing air guitar is that you can look good without ever practicing a single note. So I, I would love for you um, to just take some pictures of your family playing air guitar and post them to hashtag one expression VCC, collect them all together. I think they're going to be really, really fun. And I promise you, um, I'm going to connect this to Resurrection Sunday. The good thing about playing a real guitar or the thing about playing a real guitar is that actually to be good, you have to practice, right? And I don't know if you can think of a more annoying and accurate thing that your parents tell you, right? That um, practice makes perfect, but it's actually really true. We know that Kevin's really great on the guitar, but he has practiced his whole life. And so he's really good. Now stay with me just for a few minutes as we kind of unpack this illustration. In the resurrection story, all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the encounters and all the perspectives emphasize the very early morning arrival of the first persons arriving at Jesus's tomb. And these disciples, they kind of become the second act in this resurrection drama. So turn to Luke chapter 24. Let's read these verses together and then we'll draw the truth out of the text. Let me read it for you. It says, now on the first day of the week at early dawn, the women went to the tomb taking the aromatic spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood beside them in dazzling attire. The women were terribly frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's been raised. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise again. And then the women remembered his words. And then when they returned from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other with women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like pure nonsense to them, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. He bent down and he saw only strips of linen cloth. And then he went home wondering what had happened. Now, this is the scene that we want to kind of get drawn into. And I'm kind of calling it the second act that all of these apostles, these disciples of Jesus, his guys are involved in. And you can see, if you kind of analyze this passage just a little bit, but you can see from this passage that Luke, the author of this passage, that 
he doesn't include all the details. All the details aren't there. And this is unusual for Luke because he's a doctor and he's actually all about the details. But here, it's obvious he's being intentional and leaving out some of the details. He's doing it on, pur- on purpose. Luke isn't trying, in other words, to give us the details. But what we learn from Luke's account is that there are two different ways to respond to the resurrection. And how, do you, how you respond to the resurrection will determine the eternal destiny of your soul. It's either going to be headed for heaven or headed for hell or judgment or forgiveness. And so the first thing that you should take away from reading this account is, number one, do not be unbelieving. Do not be unbelieving. As you read Luke's account, the first major point that Luke emphasizes is the fact that Christ's closest followers were unbelieving. Did you see that? They were unbelieving when the women came back and they reported all this. They didn't believe them. They were unbelieving. And this in itself is actually, to me, it's unbelievable, right? Like many today, they couldn't bring themselves to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead and they had spent all this time with Jesus. This is amazing in light of how many times Jesus actually told them that he would rise from the dead. Over and over again, Jesus tells his guys these things, right? He had predicted it so many times that he was gonna rise from the dead. And when you go through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all these instances actually really stick out. Let me just share a few with you. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 and 40 describes the Pharisees. This is like the religious leader establishment, right? Lawyers of the law. They're coming to Jesus and they're asking for a sign. The Jews always wanted to see a sign. Can you, can you do another miracle, Jesus? We kind of like miracles, Jesus. Give us a sign, right? And look what he says. He says, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish for three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. This is also said in Matthew chapter 16, verse four, right after this, Matthew says it in almost an identical speech where Jesus refers to Jonah, right? And then Jesus also speaks to the disciples plainly about his impending death and resurrection. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, listen to this. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders chief priests and experts in the law and be killed and on the third day raised. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no, right? This must not happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. In other words, you're a stumbling block, Peter. You're a stumbling block to me because you're, you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. Interest. So that's really clear, right? In Matthew chapter 17, right after that, in verses 22 and 23, again, Matthew says, when they gathered together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised. And they became greatly distressed. 
So see, these guys are, have heard this actually multiple times now. All they knew was Jesus is the guy, right? Jesus is the guy. In Mark chapter 9, verse 32, look at this. It gives us a little comment. It's a parallel account. It says, but they did not understand this statement and, they, uh, and, and were afraid to ask him. So Jesus fulfills his prophecies, right? He's got a lot of power and he can't die because he's the one. We know he's the one. He cannot die. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, Jesus is about to go uh, up to Jerusalem. And so he takes his 12 guys, his 12 disciples aside by themselves on the way. And this is what he says to them. Now see, as we look at this, if this isn't really, really clear. Starting in verse 18, it says, look, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and the experts in the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged severely and crucified. Yet on the third day, he will be raised. Look, that's about as clear as it gets. You know what their problem was? They would not believe. They just would not believe. And this is one of the ways that you can respond to Jesus's resurrection. You can refuse to believe, and lots of people do. And so the solution, I think, is in my second point. And it's pretty bold. Be a believer. Why did the prophets predict the Messiah's death? Why did they do that? You know, in the Old Testament, they predict the um, Messiah, his death over and over again. They do it so you would believe. Why did Jesus predict his death? Why did he, you know, even him? He did it so you would believe. Why are these accounts in the Bible of angels telling the women, don't you remember? Don't you remember? The angels say all these things and tell them to remember so that they would remember and believe. Why did Jesus appear to Mary Magdalene and the other women, to Peter, to the disciples, to more than 500 people at one time. And they all saw him. Why did all that happen? Why did he do that? So you would believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is risen. And if you're going to believe, and I'm praying that you do, then you must be a part of the second act of the resurrection, just like the disciples, his guys. The second act of the resurrection is a, kind of a never-ending replay of some magnificent, magnificent things. Jesus's resurrection, his triumph or victory over death was once and for all, but the role of the witnesses that continues, that keeps going over and over and over again. And the only way that Jesus's resurrection can continue and can continue to destroy death for each new generation that emerges is as if every generation has new witnesses producing new believers. Those who have seen the empty tomb must spend their lives practicing resurrection. 
And I really like this term, practicing resurrection. But practicing resurrection takes practice. It really does. Practicing resurrection means telling the story of the Good Friday sacrifice and the resurrection morning miracle again and again and again throughout your life of faith. It takes practice. Even on those days when the empty tomb seems incomprehensible and you can't just figure it out or just can't quite get your arms completely around it because it's, such, it's, a, it's a huge miracle. Even when retelling the miracle is met with derision or even disbelief, or even if you kind of stumble around as you're trying to tell people about it, even when recounting the resurrection seems to bring no results, we're still called to practice, to keep practicing, to keep witnessing to the world that we live in. And the working resurrection faith, we're, we're working it into every corner of our lives and presenting it every chance that we get. The church is, is um, not just living wit witness to the risen Christ. The church is also the loving witness of the risen Christ. We are to really love people to Jesus. Confessing and celebrating the resurrection means confessing and celebrating a Christ who is always revealing God's saving, freeing power that is alive in this world. We don't serve a risen Savior. We serve a Savior that is alive and living in the believer. You could describe it as a, a rising Savior still. We serve a Lord who empowers all who embrace the resurrection to meet every situation and circumstance that life brings. We're all living in pretty unusual circumstances right now. I've never seen anything like this. Neither has anybody else. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know what the complete outcome is going to be. I'm hoping and praying that we can come back to normal. But listen to this. If Jesus had only defeated death's power in a cave tomb in the first century uh, Jerusalem, how could that possibly empower us in the 21st century living in what we're living in right now? You see, Jesus's death defeats death daily over and over again. His resurrection is a continual rerun, a miracle replayed and rewound for every generation for every situation, for everyone who reaches out wanting something more, wanting meaning and purpose in life. Jesus's resurrection was perfect, but every generation of disciples have to keep practicing. And this is not air guitar practice. You see, I told you I'd pull it all together. It's not air guitar practice. Sometimes we're gonna get it wrong. And I feel like I often do. I make mistakes all the time. We're going to hit wrong notes. We're going to hit bad chords or chords that sound awful. But we learn by practicing and training. And in my view, this is a perfect time to do some of that with your family and your, uh, your loved ones that you're kind of quarantined with, so to speak. 
And sometimes evil and death go on the offense. Have you noticed that? (laughs) But whatever unfolds, whatever evil unfolds, life can always be restored and transformed by the power of the resurrection. That's where all the power is, right? The forces of death can be defeated by a new generation of resurrection practitioners, actually. The history of resurrection faith is, is, it's an amazing journey from the testimony of some frightened women at the empty tomb came the birth of the gospel and the church that's changed the world. And we're a result of that. What those women encountered at the empty tomb grew with intensity because it was a rich place to grow faith right there. From that open cave tomb came the fullness of faith that could stare down Rome. You remember these times that they were living in, oppressed by Rome. And they lived through, eventually, a a lot of persecution. The first generations of Christ followers didn't just face challenges, they faced them down. For everyone who practices resurrection... The tomb is not just empty. And by the way, the stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus to get out. (laughs) He didn't need the stone to be rolled away for him to get out. No way. The stone was rolled away so that we could see that it was empty in there. That's why it was rolled away. In fact, the last thing the tomb is, though, is actually empty when you think about it. The tomb's filled with promises and possibilities of new life and new faith. The tomb is really a birthplace, a beginning place. God wants to birth real living faith that can overcome the powers of the world and all these things that we think that we are so vulnerable to. And life is really fragile. There's no doubt. So let's just wrap this together. What does this have to do with me? We all face the same choices that the disciples and the Pharisees actually faced. And one of the two ways that you can respond to Jesus's resurrection, you can either refuse to believe it or believe that Jesus is risen. One of those two things. And I think that's the most important uh, lesson to draw and truth to draw out of this text. On the morning of the resurrection, Angel visitors instructed the empty tomb witnesses that the first work of resurrection faith is to remember. Remember, right? Remember Christ's words. Remember Christ's stories and teaching. Remember Christ's signs. Remember Christ's promises. It's this remembering that that, that will lead each new generation to the empty tomb and the miracle of the resurrection. This remembering is the gospel at the center of every believer's life in Jesus. So God gives us the truth here in the scripture, but you have to read it and absorb it and and know it and equip yourself with it so that you can remember and then recount it, right? When Christ followers remember the defining miracle of the empty tomb, we remember the good news of Jesus Christ. We remember the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. 
when we remember that Jesus made his way to die for us to take on all of our sin so that we might be acceptable to God. God is perfect and we are in our natural state sinful and sin can't be in his presence. So he made a way for us with a perfect sacrifice, his son Jesus, giving us his body, shedding his blood to wash us clean, free from that sin so that we could be new and transformed and acceptable to be in God's presence, giving us then eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the resurrection gospel. Defeating death, defeating sin. We can always do that anywhere, in any time, in any age, in every age, actually. Remembering is a lifetime endeavor. It's a way of life. It's a practice. Keep practicing resurrection. We serve a risen Savior. Let me pray with you just for a minute. Thank you, Lord, for the moments that we have here to draw the truth out of the text and see what it has to do with us. We know that there's clear things that we're instructed, instructed to do, and we have choices. So I'm, pl- I'm praying today that those who don't know you would believe. That's what you want us to do, believe. That's why you did all this, so that we would believe. Help us to remember, Lord, remember Christ's words, his stories, his teaching, his signs, his promises, so that we can witness and be a generation that tells our story and how we've connected to you. Thank you for all of this, Lord, this magnificent miracle. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as Pastor Ben dives back into the Great Mystery Series. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.